I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Got a great show for you today. We're talking with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying in the Eternal City of Rome. Uh, he also is a blogger over at shamelesspopery.com, one of my favorite blogs. Shameless Popery is P O P E R Y. Uh, and so mainly it's apologetics, uh, but we're not going to be talking about apologetics today. We're going to be talking about Lent because here we are. We're past Ash Wednesday. And uh, my, I've got six kids now, right? My sixth child has arrived. We'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, it's quite a story, actually. Uh, but here we are. We're going to Ash Wednesday with all six of our children. And the three oldest ones, they, they pretty much, they've done this, their old hat, they're used to it. But the, the two younger ones, the infant, he didn't know anything, right? We, he was sleep, slept through the whole thing. We put the, the ashes on his head and he didn't even wake up. But the, the third, the fourth and the fifth child, right? I'm losing count. The fourth and the fifth child, they were kind of freaked out by it this year. Not so much on the ashes on their own head, uh, but every time they would look at mom or dad, they go like, hey, you, you got something on your head. They get this really concerned look on their face and they point or they just kind of quizzically look. They cock their head to one side and go, what, what, what is that thing? Uh, and so you know, it's, it's hard to tell them, well, this is supposed to be there. Uh, I know we wash your face all the time every time you get it dirty, but this is supposed to be there. And look, you have it too. show them in a mirror and then they really get freaked out. It's like, what is this thing? My head, it's dark. It's OK. It's OK. It's a, one of the practices of our faith that in a very tangible way reminds us of a deep thing. Right. Uh, just like the sacraments, they give us the graces of God in a tangible way. So too, the ashes on our forehead, though they are not sacraments they do remind us of something very important. Uh, there's a couple of different phrases that they say when they administer the ashes. One is repent and believe in the gospel because we are in the, sentence, the, the, the season of repentance. Uh, one of the other ones that uh, is always very profound to me is remember, O man, that you are dust and to dust you shall return. You know, for those of us who sometimes feel like we've got it all together, even though we know we don't have it all together, we try to put on a good face. It's good to remember that we're just dust, right? We're just dust. We're dust who have the, the, the spirit of God inside of us. We have that spark of life, which gives us dignity, but lest we get too big for our spiritual britches, we're just dust. And so in his hands, in his will, uh, we do all that we can. So we're going to start today, as always, with prayer. Uh, and then we're going to do our readings from today, the Saturday after Ash Wednesday. It's not even the first Sunday of Lent yet. Saturday after Ash Wednesday. And then uh, then we're going to do a reading from St. Peter Chrysologus. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why we're doing that uh, as we get to it. But let's go ahead and start, as always, with our prayer. Let us give glory to Christ the Lord, who became our teacher and example and our brother. Let us pray to him, saying, Lord, fill your people with your life. Lord Jesus, you became like us in all things but sin. Teach us how to share with others their joy and sorrow, that our love may grow deeper every day. Help us, Lord, to feed you in feeding the hungry and to give you drink in giving drink to the thirsty. 
You raised Lazarus from the sleep of death. Grant that those who have died the death of sin may rise again through faith and repentance. Inspire many to follow you with greater zeal and perfection through the example of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints. Let the dead rise in your glory to enjoy your love forever. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, through our observance of Lent, help us to understand the meaning of your Son's death and resurrection, and teach us to reflect it in our lives. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading today on this Saturday after Ash Wednesday comes from Isaiah 58. Thus says the Lord, If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then light shall rise for you in the darkness, and the gloom shall become for you like midday. Then the Lord will guide you always and give you plenty, even on the parched land. He will renew your strength, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. The ancient ruins shall be rebuilt for your sake, and the foundations from ages past you shall raise up. Repairer of the breach, they shall call you. Restorer of ruined homesteads. If you hold back your foot on the Sabbath from following your own pursuits on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it not by following your ways, seeking your own interests, or speaking with malice, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will nourish you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 86. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Incline your ear, O Lord, answer me, for I am afflicted and poor. Keep my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for to you I call all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in kindness to all who call upon you. Hearken, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the sound of my pleading. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the customs post. He said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything behind, he got up and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to his disciples, saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said to them in reply, Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Today's reading from church history comes from a reading on prayer, fasting, and mercy by St. Peter Chrysologus. Now, I said I was going to tell you a little bit about this. My son was born uh, a week ago on Thursday, uh, and so he came quite unexpected. He was two weeks early, and he came quite quickly. Uh, labor was just 45 minutes long, and uh, he beat the midwife to the house. And it's really a good thing we were planning on having the baby at home because we had supplies there. Uh, otherwise, that baby would have been born in the car. And so I have something new to add to my resume that was completely unexpected and hopefully will not be repeated. <laughs> but there he was, uh, and his name is Simeon. Benedict Chrysologus Putnam. You're like, oh my gosh, that's a big name. What would, what would you ever do that to a child? Well, because names have meaning and there's something behind the name. And so as we prayed, even at the very beginning of the pregnancy, we got the sense that this would be a quieter child than our others. And uh, that's a, a really kind of a welcome relief. Uh, but we had no proof of this, just a feeling in our spirits as we prayed. And so we were looking for a name that was... Um, a little bit more reserved because all of our kids' names are really strong, like Israel and Jeremiah and Catherine. Uh, and so we were looking for something that reflected a little bit more of the interior life. And so we came up with Simeon out of the Gospel of Luke. He waited in the temple and received uh, Christ at the presentation and said, uh, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. So here's this just and good man who is waiting for the promise of redemption and just waited in the temple. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, Benedict is the founder of Western monasticism. He is the ultimate introvert, right? <laughs> and then Chrysologus. Chrysologus was known, St. Peter Chrysologus, as the, the golden worded. That's what Chrysologus means. And so as we looked at this, uh, all of these names came around the carefully chosen word, right? Simeon received the word of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Benedict, one, it means blessing, but benedictus means well said, right? And then you have Chrysologus, which is the golden worded. And so in honor of the birth of my son, uh, Simeon Benedict Chrysologus, I want to read this reading on prayer, fasting, and mercy from St. Peter Chrysologus. There are three things, my brethren, by which faith stands firm, devotion remains constant, and virtue endures. They are prayer, fasting, and mercy. Prayer knocks at the door. Fasting obtains. Mercy receives. Prayer, mercy, and fasting. These three are one, and they give life to each other. Fasting is the soul of prayer. Mercy is the lifeblood of fasting. Let no one try to separate them. They cannot be separated. If you have only one of them, or not all together, you have nothing. So if you pray, fast. If you fast, show mercy. If you want your petition to be heard, hear the petition of others. If you do not close your ear to others, you open God's ear to yourself. When you fast, see the fasting of others. If you want God to know that you are hungry, know that another is hungry. If you hope for mercy, show mercy. 
If you look for kindness, show kindness. If you want to receive, give. If you ask for yourself what you deny to others, your asking is a mockery. Let this be the pattern for all men when they practice mercy. Show mercy to others in the same way, with the same generosity, with the same promptness as you want others to show mercy to you. Therefore, let prayer, mercy, and fasting be one single plea to God on our behalf. In one speech in our defense, a threefold prayer in our favor. Let us use fasting to make up for what we have lost by despising others. Let us offer our souls in sacrifice by means of fasting. There is nothing more pleasing that we can offer to God, as the psalmist said in prophecy. A sacrifice to God is a broken spirit. God does not despise a bruised and humbled heart. Offer your soul to God. Make him an oblation of your fasting, so that your soul may be a pure offering, a holy sacrifice, a living victim, remaining your own, and at the same time made over to God. Whoever fails to give this to God will not be excused, for if you are to give him yourself, you are never without the means of giving. To make these acceptable, mercy must be added. Fasting bears no fruit unless it is watered by mercy. Fasting dries up when mercy dries up. Mercy is to fasting as rain is to earth. However much you may cultivate your heart, clear the soil of your nature, root out vices, sow virtues. If you do not release the springs of mercy, your fasting will bear no fruit. When you fast, if your mercy is thin, your harvest will be thin. When you fast, what you pour out in mercy overflows into your barn. Therefore, do not lose by saving, but gather in by scattering. Give to the poor, and you give to yourself. You will not be allowed to keep what you have refused to give to others. That's a reading on Prayer, Fasting, and Mercy by St. Peter Chrysologus. Well, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Joe Heschmeyer of shamelesspopery.com. Lots more. Join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Love to hear from you. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Here we are, first week of Lent. Uh, Lent came quick this year. There's not a lot of space between the season of Christmas and the season of Lent. Just a, a short, ordinary time. We'll pick that back up after Easter and go for the rest of the year. Uh, but today we're talking with uh, with one of my favorite guests, Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying at the North American College in Rome. Uh, had a brief break between semesters, a whole four days off, and now he's back at his studies there in the Eternal City. Joe, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. So, Joe, of course, for those who have listened before, is the uh, the purveyor of shamelesspopery.com, uh, one of my favorite apologetic blog sites, because, Joe, you spend so much time with every issue. And I'm going to guess that that comes from your history as a litigation attorney. A litigation meaning that you like the debate, and attorney meaning that you're very thorough and careful with your words. 
So uh, love all that you do over there. If you have never gone, go to shamelesspopery.com. Uh, lots of information there specifically re- regarding and some of the stuff I appreciate the most uh, about the canon of Scripture, about why, uh, the, you know, those big Protestant questions. Why do we have our devotions to Mary and what's the backing of them? Why do we, the one that's blowing up the internet right now is the question of papal infallibility, not only as it relates to Protestantism, but also as it relates to Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, you can go and find that over at Shameless Popery and you'll be, you'll be uh, greeted with a treatise. He never gives you just a, a soundbite. There's always the full depth and all of the implications that come from that. Uh, but today we're not going to talk about apologetics. Uh, today we're going to talk about Lent, specifically because I've known many people, and I'm sure you do as well, who have gotten involved in the questions of apologetics, and they've allowed that to take over their whole practice of faith. Right? Uh, it, it becomes only about winning the argument or answering uh, the question. And I know that as a seminarian, that's not your experience of the faith at all. That's something that you're talented in, and you can help us uh, come up with some very good answers for, so that we can believe. But here we are in the season of Lent, which is a season of uh, deepening our faith and our practice. And I wanted to talk to you specifically about the purpose of our practices, not necessarily so we can go and answer anyone else's question, but so that maybe we can answer some of our own questions. Uh, I had some friends back in my Protestant days who were very frustrated with the idea of fasting because their concept of fasting was, if I fast, God will be happy with me. And so I have to put on all of these extreme measures and I have to uh, jump through hoops just to make God happy with me. And it's a very different picture than what we have of fasting. Uh, We think of fasting. Yeah, we think of fasting, at least I think of fasting as, you know, I've got a wound. I have wounded myself, my soul, with, um, with venial sin, with mortal sin, with, uh, with just busyness. You know, you talk about the, the parable of the seed and the sower, where it landed on that, that shallow ground and it got burned up because there was no depth. And we, we get so busy uh, that the faith doesn't have a chance to take root deep in. And Lent really is about correcting that, but we need fasting because we cover up those wounds with all kinds of layers of clothing and coats and everything else so we can't see the wound. And so fasting is that process, in my mind, of taking off those outer layers that that would prevent us from seeing what God really wants us to deal with. So here you are, you're in seminary, and one of the big things, they're, they're working with you academically— but they're also spending a lot of time, and you're spending a lot of time, on formation, on forming your own self. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about your experience of fasting, your knowledge of fasting, and how that's changed as you've been there in Rome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, I'd say a few things. Um, first, you, you mentioned sort of the the purpose of fasting. So why don't, why don't I talk a little bit about that okay. and then get a little more into the, the particulars of my own kind of experience with it. Um, there's this sense in which all of the things that God has made are good. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, St. Augustine says our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Mm-hmm. And so we always have to be kind of mindful that like the only thing that will really make us happy is God himself. And, you know, you can say that, you can read it in a theological textbook, you can read it in confessions, but living that experience day in and day out 
of am I trying to settle for something less than God mm-hmm. and stepping away from it? You know, there are a lot of earthly delights. that They're not bad in themselves. I'm not saying, you know, never enjoy yourself or don't have any pleasure, you know, don't ever have a good meal or any of these things. No, no nothing like that. But rather, where are you finding your delight? And if your delight's not in God, why? Right. And so fasting and abstinence from meat and all of these things, um, all sorts of mortifications, as they're called, are a way of stepping back from the worldly things and making sure that they're not in the driver's seat. Because these things are gifts and they're great. You know, um, there's that saying about fire that it makes an excellent servant but a terrible master. That if it gets out of control, it can destroy your house. And this is true with worldly things as well. You know, as a result of the fall, we're inclined to want to settle for less than God. We're inclined to want to settle for sin or even if not for sin, uh, a sinful attachment to, to worldly things. And so fasting and mortification is a way of helping to reset the deck, to uh, detach us from those things, create more space for God to enter in, move away from our sinful inclinations and and create more of an opportunity um, for God to operate within our lives. So that's maybe the 20,000-foot view. Right. You know, there's this passage in, in Colossians that where the Apostle Paul is talking to the people of Colossia. In Colossians 3, it's one of the, the passages that I find most meaningful to me. And he talks about putting off and putting on. You know, uh, put to death, therefore, those things in you that are earthly. Uh, look not to things that are on earth, but on things that are above, where Christ is seated in, in uh, heavenly realms, right? So he goes through these things of anger, wrath, malice, all of these things that he wants us to put to death. And then he talks about now, put on then as God's dearly beloved, put on then compassion and kindness and forgiving one another. And, you know, ultimately, that's the best thing to be giving up for Lent is our anger, uh, to be giving up our, our impatience, and then to put on forgiveness. And people say, oh man, forgiveness is hard. You know, I, uh, that's not who I am. I'm, that's, that's not in my nature. Uh, God's just going to have to deal with that. And Paul in there, he knows that that's not in our nature because he says, clothe yourselves, put it on. And everyone knows you wake up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, Ooh, I'm not going out like that. I'm going to cover up what's natural with a little bit of the unnatural for the sake of my own benefit and the benefit of the wider society, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there's there's kind of a Cliff's Note version. I mean, you mentioned Colossians 3, which is great, because he goes into all of the specific things to, to move away from mm-hmm. and all the specific things to move towards. But there are a couple verses that I think really just say it in such a punchy way. Um, in Romans 13, 14, he says, this is Paul again, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Yeah. Just right there in one sentence, he captures not only all of Lent, mm-hmm. but all of the spiritual life, yeah. not to make a provision for the flesh. So it's not just about, you know, don't indulge in sin, because you shouldn't be doing that any time of year. <laughs> right. you know, if if you're like, well, I'm going to stop stealing for Lent. Well, it's great that you're going to stop stealing. Maybe that should be <laughs> more than just for Lent. But even things that aren't sinful, not making a provision for the flesh. Don't give the devil a chance to work. If if you find that you're becoming too attached to something, mm-hmm. that's a great opportunity to give that thing up and kind of get that that attachment back in order and to put on Jesus Christ. And there's a verse that I find really empowering for this. Because in Galatians 3.27, he says that as many 
of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which, you know, you talked about this not being natural to us, and it's true in a sense. But in another sense, it's supernatural, but it's supernatural and it's been given to us right. in baptism. So a lot of Lent is really discovering our own baptismal identity in a deeper and more profound way. And hopefully all of the spiritual life mm-hmm. is discovering who we are in Christ uh, a little more every day. You know, and the church in our uh, context here is asking us for a period. And it's that 40 days, it's reminiscent of Christ's 40 days in the desert and preparation for his ministry. Uh, that 40 days is always a preparation, right? It's not the end unto itself. It's to get us ready for what's next. And what's next is the fullness of the Paschal mystery and how that impacts our lives moving forward. So Lent is the, the preparation for us going into all the world and making disciples, to look at those things that maybe maybe would be baggage that they're not bad, but they're going to prevent us from the best, right? As someone said, good is the enemy of best. Yes, in a real sense in the spiritual life, this desire to uh, always say, no, I don't want to rest in these, these things that are good, but not God. Mm-hmm. And always going deeper and deeper and deeper and saying, Lord, I appreciate the gifts you've given me, but I don't love you for your gifts. I love you for you. And that's a hard process. It sounds very easy to say. But when you actually try to live it and you have to actually um, become more detached yeah. to things that aren't evil. Like it's one thing to say, don't be attached to sin. It's another thing to say, don't even be attached to the good things of the world because you're not made for this world. You're mm-hmm. made for the next world. And it's so much better. So when you really get into that, then something like Lent takes on a new meaning. I would also say things like celibacy take on a new meaning, almsgiving, all of these things. Um, they come to a new light, and you can sort of understand that it isn't like, you know, the church is saying marriage is evil or having money is evil or, you know, mm-hmm. having chocolate after dinner or any of these things are, are evil. <laughs> right. Uh, but they're not what we're ultimately made for. Mm-hmm. We're, we're made for something even better than all of those things combined. Yeah. You know, I, I think about, the good things that that hold us down. We've recently moved from Tulsa to the Dallas area and going through our house and looking at all of the things that have been on our shelves and we've enjoyed and we've liked them and going, you know, these were great, but do we really want to hang on to these? Do we want in this next stage, do we want to pack these up into a box and carry them with us into our future? And in a lot of ways, that's what Lent is. It's a decluttering time for our souls. Cardinal Dolan tells a great story very similar to that. I'll tell you what, let's hit that story right when we come back. Uh, We're coming right up on a hard break, and so I want to give you plenty of time to tell it. Plus, it gives us a little bit of a cliffhanger, and so it gives everyone an incentive uh, to come back and listen right after the break. Join our conversation over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And let us know what you think. Today we're talking with Joe Heschmeyer, who's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying in Rome. Uh, He's also the purveyor of shamelesspopery.com. That's P-O-P-E-R-Y. It's one of my favorite blogs. Why don't you go check it out? Give him a little bit of love there as well. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Today we're talking about fasting, about Lent, uh, and about the purpose of these practices in our spiritual life. We're talking with Joe Heschmeyer. He is a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently residing in the Eternal City in Rome. He's a blogger at Shameless Popery, P-O-P-E-R-Y, shamelesspopery.com. Joe, thanks again for joining us. Thrilled to be here. Now, just before the break, we had to cut you off, but you were telling us a story. Uh, we talked about uh, my moving and decluttering and saying, you know what? I loved this thing. It was cute on my walls, but I'm not packing it up. I'm not going to take it all the way across the country because, I, frankly, I'm not that attached to this thing. And that brought up a story for you that Cardinal Dolan told. I'm going to let you finish that story now. Okay, great. So as the story goes, and again, I don't know if this personally happened to him or not, but uh, he was going to stay, I believe, with some Dominicans. And he had just like his backpack and, and a few basic things with him. And when he got there, he was really struck by one of the older uh, friars who was in the community. And this friar just lived a life of just complete simplicity. He had very few things, and he lived in a, a really sparse room. And uh, Dolan says to him, um, I'm, I'm amazed that you, you have so few possessions. And, and the friar says to him back, you know, well, you have very few things yourself. And he said, well, yeah, I'm just passing through. And he says, so am I. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's that notion of, of capturing the fact that we are pilgrims here on earth. And so just like, you know, I, I travel a lot here in Europe, which is wonderful, but you really learn uh, which things you have to have with you and which things are, are kind of weighing you down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good analog for the spiritual life, that there are a lot of things that feel necessary until you you have to bring them through airport security. And then you think, <laughs> why did I bring this? Um, and, and Lent is a little bit like that. It's, it's painful. It's, uh, it's a little bit like airport, yeah, airport security. That's a, it's yeah. a perfect <laughs> picture. <laughs> but it gets you where you want to go. Right. So, you know, and you've got this, this idea of uh, we're called to, to live out the corporal works and the spiritual works of mercy, which we talked about in a recent show here. And, Lent is a way that helps us do that, because as we detach from all of these good things that aren't necessary, it frees us up to do the better things that are necessary. You know, we have so many attachments, specifically in the Western world, because we we have a good economy and we're very uh, comfortable in our lifestyles. And those things, those very things that we consider blessings, sometimes hold us down from being blessings to others. Well, I was going to say, I think there's, a, there's an early Christian practice that uh, you've, you've reminded me of here. When they would have fast days, they would take the money they would have spent on food mm-hmm. and they would give it to the poor. And I love it. It's, it's a little practice, but it, it does a couple things. One, it turns us away from just not doing something, you know, right. I'm not going to have dessert or I'm not going to do this set of the other towards an, an act of mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, it makes sure that we don't turn away from maybe an inordinate attachment to food towards an inordinate attachment to money where (laughs) fasting becomes like a diet plan or fasting becomes a way to save a few dollars. And and those are, you know, less than perfect motives. They're not evil motives by any stretch. But but even worse than that, I think, is the idea of, oh, look at how pleased God is with me because I have fasted, right? And so (laughs) it becomes this interior accomplishment rather than a true... Uh, examination of conscience and and really seeing our own weaknesses, right? Uh, yeah, if I could share, uh, actually, I have two personal stories. One happened to me, and one happened to uh, a priest friend of mine that I think really hammered this home in a 
maybe a mildly embarrassing one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for years, I was I was a vegetarian, and it was for a, a complicated set of reasons, but part of it was penitential. And one Lent, a priest that I'm friends with uh, discovered this, and he sort of encouraged me to stop when he when he heard it was just a perpetual penance. And he said, it's going to become too easy for you, and you're just going to become puffed up with pride. Hmm. And when he said it, I realized that this was very true. Maybe this, it was no longer uh, difficult at all to avoid meat. I'd, I'd been so long without it that it, it stopped being as tempting. And instead, it just created this sort of uh, interior sense of being very pleased with myself and yeah. maybe thinking I was better than other people who struggled with it more. And, and, and all of it was spiritually poisonous. And I hadn't really been aware of it until he, he called me out for it. Um, and one of the tools that he used was actually uh, looking at Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book, but in it there's this old monk who does these extreme penances, but he's proud. And huh. so these penances and this extreme fasting and all of this stuff and all of his you know, so-called spiritual warfare is worthless because he's given into his pride. Hmm. And this saint priest also, in addition to sharing the thing from Brothers K, also shared an experience from his own life. Um, when he was in seminary, he had a laundry list of things that he wanted to give up for Lent. All of, all of his brother seminarians were giving up desserts, and so he wanted to give up dessert and, you know, 20 other things. And he went and talked to his spiritual director, and his spiritual director said, no, what you need to mortify is pride. So I'm telling you as your spiritual director, don't give up anything for Lent this year. Oh, wow. And it was the hardest Lent I think he had. Yeah. Because he was having dessert when no one else was, and every time he had it, he had that tiny little mortification, a little humiliation, where he looked less pious than his brothers, and he didn't have this, uh, maybe this ambitious uh, self-righteousness that mm -hmm. seeps in in these subtle ways. And so it, it was a much better penance than any of the things on his laundry list. And I think it caused him to grow immensely. And he's a great priest as a result. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the result of your formation. You know, in seminary, you all have the, the benefit of having spiritual directors. You have the benefit of having these people who are intensely focused not only on your uh, academic education, but also on your spiritual life. Because they're not just training you to be good teachers. They're training you to be priests. That's something different than the rest of us are going to experience. So talk to us about your transition from uh, a secular, uh, the, the job as a litigation attorney, how you understood these practices and to where you're coming now and maybe what you think may be next. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a big question. I'm not sure I can give a, a good sort of comprehensive answer, but I can, I can speak to it kind of in, in broad terms. Okay. I had a good spiritual director, actually, my last two years um, living in Washington, D.C., uh, Father Arnie Panula. So actually, as an attorney, I had a spiritual director, which, which was wonderful for me. And mm -hmm. um, I would really recommend it for anyone who's maybe going through a time of transition. So here's a question for you before we get into the rest of that. Mm -hmm. How do, do all the folks who are listening today, how would they go about, as a layperson, uh, approaching and attaining a spiritual director? What's the process? Well, sure. Um, the advice that I got was to, in my case, so one of the things, I, I should mention this, this is an important detail. I was trying to figure out if I was called to seminary and called to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so that made it important enough that it, it was critical for me to get a spiritual director. Right. Not everyone needs a spiritual director in the first place, nor is it feasible for everyone to have one. Right. 
um, in some dioceses. So in my own diocese, we have a, a group called the Apostles of the Interior Life who train lay spiritual directors. Okay. And for most people, uh, a well-qualified lay person who knows a little bit about the spiritual life and can guide you through uh, particular issues is, is just fine. Someone discerning religious life for the priesthood should find uh, a priest, or if you're discerning, say, a women's religious order, perhaps someone who is, you know, in that order or, or someone who has enough experience with the particulars of a vocational calling. But would barring a, those kind of special cases. So would a, uh, a, a diocesan vocation office be able to help that person find a director? Yeah, they, they should. But if you know a good priest, mm-hmm. and um, the particular advice I was given was great. It was find a priest who you look up to as a father rather than who you think of as a friend. Okay. Someone who you're willing to do what he tells you to do if he has to tell you to do something and who you trust the advice that he gives. Mm-hmm. I believe it was, uh, it was either St. Catherine of Siena or St. Teresa of Avila who said that it was better to have a spiritual director who knew theology well than one that was holy. Hmm. And it's kind of shocking when you first hear it, but then you think, you know, I'd rather go to a fat doctor than like a person who's in shape but has never been to medical school. <laughs> right. So let's continue with your story of, of the progression of your, your spiritual life. Okay. So um, I was already starting to get a good kind of concrete advice in those last couple of years. But this transitioned really well into uh, the life of seminary because before you go into Lent, you usually will talk to your spiritual director about the sort of things that you're planning to do. And they'll kind of consider where you are, maybe what you're struggling with, what you're doing well with, and the particulars of your own circumstances, and see, you know, maybe you're pushing yourself too hard, maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough, Mm -hmm. and you'll have kind of a conversation about that. Um, And it may be that you're just trying to focus on the wrong areas. So maybe, not that you need to give up more stuff, maybe you need to go out and like, go on rosary walks, or maybe you need to do a little more in the community, or any of these other things. Um, We're particularly blessed, particularly here at the North American College, both that we have, I would say, a world-class set of spiritual directors, but also that Lent gives us a really unique opportunity. We have what are called the station churches. I'm not familiar with, I don't know if you're familiar with this practice or not, but there is, and actually is an ancient Roman practice that the Americans revived uh, many years ago, that there are, for every day of Lent, 40 different churches, Hmm. one for each day, and you walk to the church, and you usually walk to the church in silence or praying, um, and you go to Mass there in the morning. And so, uh, for example, for Ash Wednesday, it's St. Sabina. So you leave at 5.55 for 7 a.m. Mass. So you've got a long walk ahead of you. Yeah. And it's a good way to start the day. It's uh, a nice, tiny mortification. And it's also a beautiful way of kind of exploring the riches um, of the city. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying at the North American College in Rome. Also, The Purveyor, one of my favorite blogs, shamelesspopery.com. That's P-O-P-E-R-Y. Why don't you go Google it, take a look at some of the things he has to offer there. Uh, We'll be right back talking a little bit more about Lent, our Lenten practices and how we can use this season to strengthen our spiritual life. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and a blogger over at shamelesspopery.com. Currently living in the Eternal City, the beautiful city of Rome. Must be awful to spend Lent and Easter in Rome every year. Joe, thanks for being on the show. I'm more than happy to be here. So, uh, here's the important questions, right? Uh, have you have you gotten to celebrate and assist in Mass yet with uh, with the Holy Father? Um, I haven't gotten to assist in Mass with him. However, he did come to our church here, like a, our chapel at the seminary, mm-hmm. and he celebrated Mass for us, and that was an incredible experience. Wow. We were actually the, the very first seminary he visited, uh, so that was a, a real honor and a privilege. Um, so that was wonderful. In addition, you know, he's just down the road. He, we can see St. Peter's from mm-hmm. the college here, and it's a, maybe a 10-minute walk. So I've gotten to go to multiple papal masses. I went to the opening mass for the Year for Mercy. So it's been an incredible privilege. Uh, Epiphany Mass, actually a group from my archdiocese, a, a children's choir from Most Pure Heart of Mary Church in Topeka, was performing during the Epiphany Mass for the Holy Father. Wow. So I went and got to hear them sing with my parents. Uh, that was a real privilege for several reasons. So, so now you're, been a lot- you're there in Rome. You've been there for a while, and you're there for a while to come. Uh, how long will it be that you've been there before you get to come home? Well, actually, I'm, I'm coming home this summer. I'm trying not to count down the, uh, the days, uh, right. but it looks like it'll be uh, right around June 1st. Okay. I'm hoping to be back in the, in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. Great. And how long will you be here before you have to return? Um, well, I'll be going to World Youth Day, so oh. I'll have a, a quick kind of jaunt back to Europe. Right. Um, and then I'll be coming back to school at the end of August. And how much longer do you have to go before uh, the ordination to the diaconate and then the priesthood? Well, I'm finishing up my second year of theology, Um, God willing, at the beginning of my fourth year of theology, so a year and a little change, Mm -hmm. um, I'll be ordained to the diaconate, uh, followed that following summer um, to the priesthood. So there's four years of theology total, and I'm finishing up my second. Great. So let's talk a little bit about your process uh, of discerning. this very first Lenten practice of giving up not just, you know, chocolate, but giving up an idea and a concept you had of the future. How did you go about discerning that maybe the priesthood is where you were supposed to be? That's a great question. And I I like that you said the idea and the concept of the future, because I think that's one of the subtlest things Mm -hmm. that can get in the way of doing the will of God. Not that you say no to God, but that you become so convinced by your own plan that don't kind of leave room for him to offer an alternative plan that <laughs> is the one of his own design. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had been my own experience. I, for years and years, I prayed, you know, God, I'd really like to do this thing. Will you open this door for me? Will you, you know, let this opportunity work out? And almost without fail, almost without exception, he opened the doors I, I wanted opened and in my view needed opened. Right. And so I was, I was really living, you know, my dream job and uh, at a city that I loved I was in a relationship that was, you know, really rooted in Christ and well, it seemed like it was really on track for marriage and all of these things were sort of coming together and none of them were, were bad or evil desires. I wasn't saying, you know, God help me rob this bank or, or <laughs> something like that. But um, eventually around me, both through the blog and in person, people started to ask me if I was called to the priesthood. And to be honest, I just never really given it a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. 
And I was in a men's prayer group at the time, and the priest there told me the story of St. Ambrose. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Ambrose, but he was the bishop of the city, or he was at the time the governor of the city of Milan. And there was a big riot in the city between two groups of Christians over who the next bishop would be. Huh. And Ambrose went, he was at the time just a catechumen. He hadn't even been baptized yet. He went and settled it to the satisfaction of both parties. And then they started chanting for him to become their bishop. <laughs> and obviously nothing like that has happened to Right, <laughs> right. But the reason this priest brought it up was he was saying, sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't work through just a still, quiet voice within. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he hits you over the head with it outside. Yeah. And that had kind of happened in my case. Um, so then after that, it was a matter of, you know, putting that relationship on hold, uh, fasting, spending a lot more time in intentional prayer, and asking God the question, what do you want me to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And learning to ask that question was one of the best things that ever happened to me. But it is something that's very easy to forget. You know, now I feel quite comfortable that uh, I'm doing what he's called me to do. But there are so many ways, even like small daily ways, where I still have to remind myself to ask, like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Because I can still kind of take the driver's seat very quickly. We Let's just... Go off of that back to our question of our Lenten practices, because so often we decide what we're giving up for Lent to make us, uh, you know, look appropriately spiritual. Why don't we start this Lent with that question? Lord, what do you want me to give up? What do you want me to put on? What do you want me to do that's going to uh, increase my relationship and my connection to you and to the benefit of your whole church. Because we often forget that Lent and all of our spiritual practice, it's not about us, right? We've got this idea that, uh, well, I'm going to be a better Christian if I do these things. But the Lord brings us into certain relationships and into certain uh, responsibilities in certain places for the sake of his whole church, right? We are a people and community, no matter how individual we want to be in our individual practice, right? We are a people of community. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a tremendous suggestion. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, if you have a spiritual director, it's a good thing to talk to your director about. And it's a great thing to take to prayer. Just put it before the Lord and let him choose the kind of flint you're going to have. And then just practice uh, following his will. Well, Joe, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Uh, I know that it's late there. You're quite a bit before us, uh, what, six, seven hours ahead of us. Uh, enjoy your practice of Easter and Lent, uh, the six and seven hours ahead of us. And, uh, and, uh, we'll talk to you on the, uh, on the flip side. Oh, it was great. Great talking to you. God bless. And so I want to make sure everyone knows, go and visit shamelesspopery.com. He's got a lot of things there to offer you. Uh, if you have your Protestant friends, family, uh, non-Christian friends and family asking you questions, his blog is a great place to help you formulate the answers Uh, to the questions that they have. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I can't thank you enough for joining us week after week right here on Outside the Walls. You can catch this week's archive as well as all of our other archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.